Good evening and welcome back to another episode of Please Call Me Crazy, brought to you by Free People Radio and powered by our favorite sponsor, TireGit.com. That's TireGit.com. You have to buy tires from somebody, you might as well buy them from us and help fund the movement, help support the movement. We believe in the freedom of movement, and that's exactly what the establishment wants to take from you now. I'm your host, Royce White, here in the belly of the beast, Minneapolis, Minnesota, for episode 127. Episode 127, we're going to get straight into the madness. First, I want to give a little update on Israel and Palestine. It is exactly as I thought it was. It is exactly as my intuition told me it was there in the Middle East, there um, there in the region. All these Islamic, Muslim, Arab leaders uh, there in the Middle East um, are half-baked. And that bodes well for us, I, I have to say. As an American citizen, you look at the, uh, the, the selling of wolf tickets from a lot of these Arab and, and, and Islamic leaders there in the region, and, and we, shouldn't, we shouldn't take our eye off of the, the region. We shouldn't take our eye off of the area because we never know when, when the tide could change. Uh, you know, all of these countries there in, in the Middle East face the potential of grassroots revolution uh, from, from the people. So I think, you know, what, what Erdogan did in the last couple of days is very telling, right? We heard Iran say, if, if Israel does A, we're going to do B. We heard Hezbollah say, we're in for the fight. We heard Erdogan in Turkey said, this is East versus West. And you heard a sort of echo throughout the, throughout the region of, of a similar sentiment which is duly expressed by a broader group of, of countries that are condemning Israel's actions there in, in Gaza. And I've said from day one, from day one, I said, hey, you can't tell me that there's a way to, to precisely uh, identify uh, Hamas. That you, there's no way you can tell me you have a precise way to bomb the place, take the Palestinians or Hamas out and plan to let them back in at some point, which is a complete bullshit story and that Hamas doesn't leave with the rest of Palestinians and come back in with the rest of the Palestinians. I'm not buying any of those bullshit propaganda stories. However, I did say that I, I did feel, and, and I still believe, that the loyalty to one another in the Arab countries, in the Middle Eastern or Muslim countries, is not what they make it out to be on your nightly television there in the Middle East. Um, Erdogan, you know, had this big speech, you know, went viral, made all the headlines uh, of him, you know, calling this this holy war, calling on, calling for this holy war, this this cultural war between the East and the West. And then a few days ago, he says, we're going to file a lawsuit in the International Criminal Court, which is basically like saying, I don't want to throw down. I don't want to fight. Right. I'm, I'm just condemning this thing on paper which is a good sign for us. If Turkey's not going to go, if Iran's not going to go, then Russia and China certainly aren't going to go. We keep our eye on Taiwan and, and see if the Chinese really want to go. My, my, my instinct, my gut feeling is none of these people really want to go. If they wanted to go, they would go. They would go. I'm not sure what, what magical set of circumstances they're waiting on uh, exactly to go, but if they wanted to go, I think they would go. 
I don't really see any way. I don't even, I, I really have trouble finding any strategic reason why China just doesn't take Taiwan other than they don't want to go and they also don't want to be seen as an aggressor on the world stage with the rest of the United Nations and, and all of the progress that, that China has made from a narrative standpoint uh, of, of optimism around a China-centric future. You know, all the cards are in China's hands and they're playing a thousand year war. And they're very open about that. They're, they're very unabashed about them playing a, a much longer uh, event horizon than, than the Americans and, and America's political structure. That's why they gave Xi uh, a lifelong presidency. And, and that's why, you know, their, their plans, their geopolitical plans that they talk about right out in the open at all the international summits and whatnot, uh, speak to their long-term plans. And they think that they can outplay us. They can outmaneuver us and, and, and uh, you know, and, uh, an economic trade war and a cultural subversion uh, of an asymmetric means through the border, for example, or just being able to influence our elections through dark money. I don't know. Sending Joe Biden a, a check for $40,000 is, is a good way to start. Um, so they're, they're playing a different game than us. So I don't see them going after Taiwan for any other reason than their own ego. I mean, why do they need to go after Taiwan? Anybody who knows anything about Taiwan and China's current relationship, you know, they already know that Taiwan's under China, uh, under China's control for the most part. I mean, come on, that's little brother. They're right there in the region. You know, if, 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 if China wanted to take Taiwan, we'd be hard pressed to stop them in my opinion. I mean, I, and I, I think we've seen uh, a good number of, of military personnel, specifically naval personnel, speak to that very effect, uh, that, that we are um, not greatly prepared to fight a war against China over Taiwan. Although, you know, you look at your, your PBS, or maybe it was a 60 Minutes, uh, a 60 minutes special, uh, of the the naval commander there uh, on the Nimitz, I believe it was the Nimitz, and he says, "Hey, you know, we are we are prepared to defend Taiwan's uh, you know territorial integrity, and and any other Indo-Pacific um, allies that we have. So we're certainly willing to go and fight for our Indo-Pacific interests, but that doesn't mean that we're well positioned to do so. And so, are we battle ready? Are we not? These are questions that." Only time will tell. The point is, with this with this recent explosion of, of of violence and conflict there between Israel and Palestine, doesn't look like anybody wants to go. What does that mean? Well, doesn't mean we're out of the the, the frying pan yet, uh, so to speak. One, it means that Israel is going to continue to have their way there in Gaza. What it looks like, and unless. The entire international community coalesces and calls for some ceasefire, which could very well happen. Uh, and, and I want to talk a little bit more about that in the context of, of what we're going to discuss in the show, uh, which we're, we're going to discuss a couple things. This is a, a news, a Wednesday news show. So I want to discuss some of the things in the news, partly the elections, partly the use of the black identity to rig elections or to justify voting Democrat. And then later on, I want to talk about the four heresies of the West. Um, and and some of the, the cultural wedge issues that are starting to blind the American people as to what's really going on in our country. Run-of-the-mill stuff, but in the context of the news. But 
if the international community coalesces around this conflict in Israel and says, hey, you got to do a ceasefire, would that shock anybody? I mean, America, the United Nations, we're on every side of this trade. And we've been on every side of this trade for a very, very long time. You know, to say that Israel is, is, is our ally is almost like, uh, you know, again, pissing up in the air and then telling people it's champagne. Yeah, if they're our ally, then why do we do so much business with all of their enemies there in the region? Somebody please tell me. All of their ideological counterparts. Why, why do we do so much uh, international trade? And, you know, it's this either one, we're just full of shit. And, and we say people are our allies when they really are mm, only halfway. Or number two, we're willing to put our allies in danger because we think that business and, and economics and, and trade and international markets are a remedy for moral and, and cultural differences. And sometimes they are, but sometimes there aren't. Obviously, Hamas had different ideas. Everybody else in the region looks like they're going to pay their way in, uh, in, in, in a, you know, a, a moment of uh, reprieve, let's say. Um, so. Palestinians, they're on their own. That's what it is. That's what it is. And that was one of my first predictions about this whole deal is it, it looks to me like uh, the entire international community just made the decision that the Palestinians are a relic of a conflict that's long past, uh, you know, that's, that's long um, run its usefulness, right? That's well beyond its usefulness. For a long time, the, the conflict between Palestine and Israel was a useful conflict, right? You know, instability in the region. We had an ally. We want to go to war with other Middle Eastern countries. We can always say Israel is threatened by Saddam Hussein or Libya or, or, or Afghanistan or whoever we want, really. And it was a justification to go into the Middle East and have these forever wars and supply the military industrial complex and steal money from the American taxpayer and so on and so forth. We all know that history. Hopefully we all know that history, that President Bush type history, but other neocons as well. Mark Levin, to name a few. Um, now, you know, we're seeing a lot of those Middle Eastern countries, whether they're Arab or Muslim or whatever the case may be, we're seeing a lot of them sign up for the, the fourth industrial revolution and the great reset and this whole idea of, of a, a global citizenship or one, one global corporate community. We're seeing everybody sign up there in the Middle East for the most part, especially where the money is, you know. Um, and whether on one side of the trade or the other. I mean, everybody's getting gung-ho about this BRICS versus the United States dollar and the economic hegemony. Look, the party of Davos is on both sides of that trade. The European, arist uh, the, the European aristocrats, who have created this sort of uh, culture of global governance and, and, and global international peacekeeping community, they're on every side of every trade. And so, you know, whether it's uh, the United States dollar and our relationship with Israel or other countries in the region, or it's the newly formed BRICS alliance with Russia and China uh, bringing together uh, arch enemies like the Saudis and the Iranians, still on every side of the trade. They're still on every side of the deal. And, you know, it, it seems like a lot of these Muslim or Arab countries, these Middle Eastern countries, are bought into the Fourth Industrial Revolution. Good for us in the short term, bad for us in the long term. Very bad for us in the long term. And, and we don't want to see a war there in the Middle East. Um, but 
but it, it even more dangerous than a than a than a war uh, about ideas and and values and beliefs. Even more dangerous is a is a complete concession to authoritarianism and tyranny, right? And that's kind of what we th- those are the two choices we have been been faced with uh, in on the global stage in our in our civilization right now. And it's part of the reason. Don't you know? It, we're going to talk more about this in a moment because. The Palestinians are getting used. The Jews are getting used. Cultural identity is the new currency of the day. We all see and understand that, hopefully. Um, But part of the rooting for the Palestinians, part of the rooting for the underdog, quote unquote, in any part of the anywhere in the world. And there is a sort of rooting for the underdog uh, that that we see in, in, you know, on social media or in the even in the mainstream narrative. Part of that is because people have an intuition that without the outlying radical who many could call a terrorist or, you know, whatever they want to call them, really, uh, without them, it looks like we're full speed ahead to something that we are very uncertain about as a species. And we are all have a, a certain level, uh, have, a, have a level of uncertainty about our direction as a species and as a society. There's, a, there's an uncertainty, there's a there's a fear, there's an, uh, an anxiety, uh, there's a nervousness, there's an, unsettled, there's an unsettled feeling about where we're headed. And it has a lot to do with technology, but even more so it has to do with the coalescing of nations and world government around technology. And so I think a lot of the people who, you know, identify with the Palestinians, uh, you know, are, are sort of rooting for the Palestinians to take some type of rebellious noble stand against against the new world order and and that that's not about you know their fight with israel being one with arabs or muslims versus jews that's more about the the people there in the middle east who have uh, always been you could say in rejection of the west the west presence the west's corruptions or just western values in general you know they're viewed as the underdog versus versus the avalanche of 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 westernization which is also synonymous with with uh, modernity in the general sense so um looks like the entire new world order just got everybody to sign off on the palestinians getting their ass kicked getting their ass handed to them and them being retired as an obsolete um as a as a as an obsolete relic of a of a time long past, long past its usefulness. So we'll see what happens there. We'll see what happens. For us here in America, us America firsters, we're not going into a regional war. At least I'd be hard pressed, you know, they'll be hard pressed to justify going into a regional war now. All the neocons and neoliberals, they were revved up. They were ready for a regional war. You could smell it on them. We already have one forever war going with Russia. Let's go into another one in the Middle East. And, hey, even one there in China, if need be, with Taiwan. And, you know, let's just get in four wars on the Eurasian landmass. And all of you out there, all of you American citizens out there should be conscious of the the desire that was recently displayed to have a number of forever wars pop off because of this conflict. Looks like we averted a few. Um, looks like the Turks were a little the wiser. Looks like the Iranians didn't really want to have to face 
you know, a couple couple tons of, of, of Tomahawk cruise missiles or whatever other artillery we have there on our aircraft carriers. Look like look looks like people aren't as willing to die for their beliefs as they said, as they as they tried to promote or as they often promote. And hey, I said it early on. I said, hey, all of these, you know, the Muslims are coming. The Muslims are coming. <laughs> the human condition is far and away deeper than the surface or topical ideological beliefs. Okay, um, sure, there are people who have certain belief systems who are in certain moments willing to take those beliefs to a level that many others aren't. But when you get right down to the fundamentals, when you get right down to the nitty gritty, when push comes to shove, people are driven by many of the same mechanisms across the entire spectrum of, of the human species and of, of uh, modern society. And so we can call the Iranians radical or whatever. I said it before, the Iranians have been developing nuclear weapons for 35 years. They ain't popped one off yet, okay? If we don't have the surveillance to keep them from, from sending dark money to the Palestinians and the Palestinians uh, or Hamas in Palestine rolling up on Israel's wall, if we don't have the, the surveillance to watch that transaction and attack go down, I have serious doubts that we're keeping a close enough eye on their nuclear capability or the progress of their nuclear uh, projects. I just, I just have doubts about it. Tell me if I'm wrong. Feel free, drop in the comments. Tell me I'm, you know, losing it. You know, tell me that we have way better, way more sophisticated and airtight surveillance on their nuclear progress than we do on their terrorism cells. Tell me that if you want to. I'm not buying it. I would like to hear from you. I, I genuinely would. I want to know how many people believe in the propaganda around America and the West's surveillance over enemy nations. I have serious doubts. Um, but all in all, the Iranians, they didn't want to go. They didn't want to go. So here we are. Um, here we are. Israel and Palestine will continue until the international community calls for some or is able to uh, create the pressure for a ceasefire. Maybe they can't. Maybe Israel goes on to just wipe Gaza completely off the map like many people have called for and said. Don't do it in our name. Don't do it in, the, in, in, don't do it in American citizens' name. If you guys want to, uh, you know, carry water for Israel or you, you want to carry water for whatever interest is being played out in this, this, uh, this recent Middle East theater, Go ahead and do it, but you're not doing it in the interest of American citizens and, and uh, uh, the value of our citizenship. I'm calling bullshit on that, and I'll continue to call bullshit on that uh, respectfully. So let's talk about this election. I really want to get into this. And, and <laughs> you know, the global affects the local, and we'll continue to see that. Wars, uh, people's, uh, the, the American people's sentiment around wars, our feelings about wars, our, our you know, culture around wars is going to become uh, very important if, if we continue on in these conflicts during election cycles, or at least you would think that wars would be high up on the list. May in fact be that people don't care that much about war because, hey, when you live here in America, you enjoy luxury of not feeling the immediate impact of war, like the Ukrainians who lost their lives when we push our weapons up to NATO's border, or uh, like the, the Middle Eastern conflict that's going to rage on now for a little bit. Because, you know, we've always had our, our hand in that cookie jar in some way or another. 
we don't feel the immediate impact of war. We feel the residual effects of of war, um, inflation and gas prices, and you know other stuff like that. Right? Uh, we don't we don't have any air raid sirens going off, and we got to take shelter because because you know bombs are are uh, coming in. Um, so the election you know happened yesterday, and some interesting things happened. One. Obviously, a Democrat won, and for those who are listening, I got the air quotes going with that, quote unquote, the Democrats won the governor's election in Kentucky, but lost the attorney general and secretary of state elections in Kentucky. Now, that's strange. Not too often you see um, Republicans win down-ballot elections like attorney general and secretary of state by a landslide, but lose the governor election by very tight margin. And it was a very tight margin. The last time I checked, it was about 60,000 votes, 50,000 votes, something to that effect. And for all of you out there who say, uh, for all of you nihilists out there, I want to speak to you first. For all of you nihilists, for all of you 501c3 Christians, for all of you uh, lukewarm, half-baked, you know, the end is here, the end is coming, there's nothing left we can do. Let let me show you exactly how easy it is to rig an election. The rigging starts well before you go to vote. This isn't an excuse for you not to be involved. This is to show you that when we have a culture that spends more time watching videos of women shake their ass or watching videos of guys do daredevil death, uh, you know, uh, uh, risky, uh, you know, fatal tricks like jump out of an airplane or, you know, uh, ride a bicycle uh, across a, a small ravine or canyon or, you know, parkour on top of a hundred story building. When we, when we, occupy or have been um, stimulated or brainwashed with that type of entertainment, that type of distraction, of course they can steal an election from you. I mean, that's just as easy as one, two, three. Of course they can hijack the narrative. Of Of course they can get you to do what they want you to do or get you to believe what they want you to believe. This is a referendum on the American people. How serious do we take our citizenship? One of the, one of the, basic metrics of how serious a populist takes their citizenship is how serious they take their elections and the integrity of their elections. And we don't seem to take it too serious. This is a prime example. Um, number one, any, any, any election that has a, a margin of victory that's, I don't know, 50 to 75,000 votes, should have an automatic recount, and everybody should want that, right? Now, the people who win, they never want a recount because, hey, if, 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 if we got it wrong and we won, good enough for us. We'll take that because people don't have any understanding of American civics and, and how civic duty really works and how national honor and sacred honor are supposed to work. They don't have any, any, any real concept of that anymore. It's all about teams and who wins. If my team wins, if we got a little cheating in to win, so be it. The end justifies the means. And that's how a lot of people look at politics today. It's so corrupt from the outset. It's just so, so corrupt to think of politics and your citizenship and, and your, your nation 
your nation in, in, in that way. It's absolutely corrupt in every sense of the word. Any election that has a 50 to 75,000 vote spread should have an automatic recount. Abs- you know, 100%. Maybe, maybe even a stretch to 100,000 uh, 100, in-state races. Now, when you get to the federal election, you probably got to spread that. If, if it's a million votes, if it's a million votes, we should be recounting. Too close. Too close for error. But, but I, I don't even want to speak about that necessarily. That should be obvious. Our voting machines... Um, are less secure than your average slot machine in the country. Your average slot machine goes through a very rigorous auditing process so that gambling establishments um, have, have, some, have some way to verify the legitimacy of chance for their customers. And they go through a very rigorous, rigorous um, inspection and and chain of custody and verification process for, let's say, the slot machines. And part of it is the technology that's in the slot machines, although it is proprietary technology, patented and trademarked, has to be reviewed by the government. It has to be reviewed by, you know, the gambling commission or the state gaming commission or whoever handles these in their respective states. Um, And those those audits happen, I would venture to guess, at, at least a couple of times a year, if not for sure once a year, and maybe multiple or several times a year. We don't have those same auditing process for our voting machines. Now let me let me let me repeat that. We do not have the same level of audit and inspection of our voting machines that we do our slot machines at your local casino. Just don't face value. That seems wrong. I don't know. Anybody else, if you're a Democrat out there, tell me, do you, do, what do you think about that? What do you think that your, your, your average slot machine at your you know, local casino has a better chain of custody and verification process than the voting machines? Why? The voting machines owned by people like Dominion have proprietary technology, which allows them to make the claim that this technology, the inner workings, the code, the the process that's happening inside the voting machine can be reviewed by the government, much less the people. So we don't really know what's happening in the machines. We, we have a story from the company. We have a story from elected officials who are very, very constrained in what they can actually ask for from a Dominion or any of these other voting machine uh, manufacturers. Um, so we have a huge, we have, we have a fundamental issue with the security of our elections that isn't really up for debate. You know, the only question is which, who, whose way is the cheating? Uh, who is the, who is the, who is the lack of security benefiting? Let's say it that who's getting the, better of the cheating out of the two parties. That's the real question that we're, that we're faced with. And certain elections would say, would, would, would make that seem obvious. However, it wouldn't, you know, it, it would not surprise me if there was some election rigging going on in the primaries in many primaries on the Republican side or on the Democrat side. I mean, don't think that if they're willing to cheat, when it comes to the general between the Republicans and Democrats, that they wouldn't cheat in the primaries 
of a given party as well, because again, the whole thing is to preserve the status quo. And sometimes the threat to the status quo comes from within your own party, even on the Democrat side, but certainly on the Republican side, certainly the MAGA and America First candidates pose a dangerous threat from within the Republican camp. Wouldn't shock me at all if a lot of primaries across the country uh, had some had some serious vote voter tampering or or election tampering or or rigging. That that wouldn't shock me in the least bit. But let's let's set the machines aside, okay? We can we can talk about the machines ad nauseum. Right? There's a fundamental lapse of security in voting machines in that the proprietary technology lets these companies hide a lot of what happens inside the machines from a technical standpoint. That's not really debatable. It's right there for you to go read, and you should go read it. Don't take my word for it. Um, beyond that, you know, and I promise you today, I, you know, I, if you know anything about the podcast and you've been watching, I spend more time dealing with the people within my own camp or, or inside the wire than I do painting a caricature of the opposition. But today, I'm certainly going to get to the opposition because there's a lot of things being said and being done and, and just general ideas that the, that the opposition is getting a really big, really big microphone to, to yell that are so crooked and backwards, I can't help but address it. So I'm going to get to the opposition today. But before I do, I just want to have one more chat with you conservatives and this whole back the blue movement. Oh, back the blue. Oh, you want to know how you rig an election? You want to know how you cheat? You want to know how the integrity of our elections are undermined? How your citizenship and the value of your citizenship is undermined? Let me tell you, when the Democrats took over in Minnesota in 2022 in the midterm, in the 2022 midterm election, the first order of business was to pass legislation for automatic voter enrollment, automatic voter registration. How did they do that? Well, they said all the illegal immigrants can get driver's license, and when you go to get your driver's license, you can automatically enroll to vote. It was a piece of legislation that went wide all across the country as a means for Democrats to be able to win very close elections by small margins of numbers in the overall group that voted. Kentucky's a very good example, although they don't have automatic, automatic uh, voter registration in Kentucky. You could see how a state that had a very tight election with a 50,000 person spread out of, I don't know what, say, 1 1.2, 1.3 million people who voted in the governor race there. 50,000 people, just on the margin, you know, less than 10%, on a little bit over 10%, right around 10% of the people. 50,000 people, not that many people. Not that many people to, to have to, you know, kind of fudge the numbers, so to speak. Well, we all talk about ballot harvesting. We all talk about uh, the voter machines. But let's just talk about the fundamental way that legislation is being 
manipulated to take elections out of the hands of we the people. You get illegal immigrants coming across your border in all-time record numbers. And then you pass legislation to give them driver's licenses, which allow them to automatically register to vote. And all you conservatives want to back the blue, but guess who unanimously voted to, who lobbied to support automatic voter registration and driver's license? Every single law enforcement agency in the state of Minnesota. Every single law enforcement agency in the state of Minnesota lobbied for the legislation that allowed illegal immigrants, that ultimately allowed illegal immigrants to get driver's licenses and automatically register to vote. But you guys want to back the blue. See me, I don't have any, I don't have those fears, you know, that the Muslims are coming or that the young black men are coming. They may in fact be coming, but it's just as likely that the people who we've paid and, and, and charged with the duty of protecting us, of, of keeping the peace, are just as involved in the corruption as, as any political opponent or enemy that we could name. Certainly is that way with the military. I don't know why you all think it's any different with the police. This is one of those judgments. This is one of those pre-baked, you know, tugs that the conservative movement has run on itself or that's been run on us by, I don't know, the Murdochs, Fox News, mainstream conservative media. I don't know who it is. I don't know why you people believe the things you believe. I don't know how stupid phrases like back the blue even made, even became prominent. And it's not a castigation on all the police, but, but it certainly is an indictment of, of the law enforcement agencies that they have literally participated, at least in Minnesota, but I'm sure in many other states as well, they've participated in something that undermines the United States Constitution and the rule of law. Because, hey, once you got big police departments with big budgets and big unions and all kinds of other corporate politics and economics that go on with policing as an industry, surely it should bend to the will of crony capitalism or communism or whatever sort of economic structure and corruption it needs to latch on to in order to, I don't know, justify, uh, make an excuse that, hey, we're just trying to survive. It's just business. It's not personal. It's very fucking personal. It's very fucking personal when your elections are, are getting swung by 30, 40, 50,000 votes and you got more illegal immigrants coming in the country than ever and you got law enforcement agencies lobbying to pass legislation for voter, automatic voter registration with driver's licenses. And it happened here in Minnesota. And oh, just to go a layer deeper for you conservatives out there who want to make it seem like it's a Democrat-Republican thing, the state Senate, the state Senate in Minnesota, of which the Republicans lost control of, lost control by one seat in a district where they didn't even run a candidate. They lost control of the Senate in a Senate district where they decided not to even run a candidate. Now, you tell me in your sort of Karl Rove type of, you know, political game of risk and chess and distribution, allocation of resources, uh, you know, brouhaha. You tell me how it's in any way strategic 
to not run a candidate in a Senate district that could potentially be the control of the entire state Senate when we already have huge looming questions about the integrity of elections and the overall the overall disposition of lawmakers around legislation that could potentially affect certain things like illegal immigration or election integrity. I'll tell you how. When the rhino conservatives of your Minnesota State Republican Party have a hard time even saying <coughs> the word elections without, you know, getting weak in the stomach and, and, uh, and, and lukewarm about the issue, you know, that's for radicals. That's for those Trumpers. That's for those Christians. We don't need any of those people, right? Those people are, are extremists. Same thing Nancy Pelosi said. I'm just showing you how the insider baseball works, how the destruction of the country is less about Muslims and it's less about young black men stealing from Macy's and it's more about the people who stand right next to you at the fucking chicken wing party for Republican politics or, or wherever you hang out, you know, with your Republican friends, conservatives. You need to start taking some real head counts now. There needs to be a real accounting of the people around you and just ask them, just ask them, how do you feel about election integrity? How do you feel about the illegal immigrants flooding over the border? Do you think that they should have driver's license and be automatically registered to vote? Just start to ask around. Some of them won't be straight up with you. Some of them will lie. Some of them will, will, you know, uh, uh, parrot the party line or, or the, the line of the MAGA movement, but some of them will come right out and tell you, they'll come right out and tell you, Hey, Listen, I think black, I think poor black women should kill their babies. I, I agree with Margaret Sanger. You'd be surprised how many people will just come right out and tell you this shit. Okay, so the enemy from within. This is why I got so upset uh, with my good friend Jason Whitlock about the Mark Levins of the world, because this is exactly who this guy is. This is exactly who these people are. They view politics. They view partisan politics as some type of uh, uh, public theater. You know, one in which can be very lucrative at that. And so none of their none of their uh, positions are, are deeply rooted. They're all very shallow rooted. Not like a Steve Bannon. And I, I told a friend the other day on the phone, I said, the reason why Steve Bannon won't flip, the reason why Steve Bannon can't betray the movement is because his positions come from a deeply rooted intellectual Foundation, starting point. He's sorted out the ideas, the things he believes in that he's fighting for, that he's willing to die for and lose his freedom for are based on, on, on ideological beliefs, uh, ideological positions that he sorted out long before he ever showed up to the fight. And that's what you have to do to be a soldier and have some sacred honor or national honor in a fight, in a war. A cautionary tale for the rest of our citizenry in the, in, the, in the days to come, in the conflicts that may be on the horizon. If your people don't have their, their ideological beliefs sorted out, then it becomes very hard to fight and die for those, those beliefs, for any beliefs. So that's why I got so upset. The enemy, the enemy from within. And, and I just want to say this, as an, as an olive branch to all of the MAGA and America First movement out there, don't let them discourage you. Don't let these Democrats tell you 
that this is a this was a referendum on Donald Trump and the polls say he's up. But look at the abortion uh, vote in Ohio or look at the AG vote in in Kentucky. I'm not the AG, but the governor vote in Kentucky. Look at how these elections went. Everybody said Trump was up, but but yet the Republicans lost in key elections. Don't let them tell you that they're just trying to demoralize you. They're just trying to demoralize you. And I just wanted to say this before we get into the real the real meat and potatoes of this of this podcast today. And I hope I'm not going on too many tangents, but you know how I like to do that. That's another thing. You know, Anybody who you say, any of you in the comments who say, you know, get to the point right away, go fuck yourselves. Just go on ahead and fuck yourselves. Unsubscribe. I'm not getting to the point any quicker, any quicker. You know, like there's something else you're listening to that that's so useful for you. No, the first thing you need to learn how to do is to sit the fuck down, spend some time to actually deal with the nuance and complexity of the political crisis in this country and, and have some temperance and have some some balance of, of emotion and, and commitment and discipline in doing it. Because right? our enemies do. Our enemies do, for sure. Right. You know, when your average Russian citizen comes up reading Leo Tolstoy, right. When your average Russian citizen uh, comes up reading War and Peace or, uh, or, 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 you know, any a number of, 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 of prolific Russian writers who didn't write, you know, short novels. They did write novels, but, you know, these people wrote 1,200-page works of literature like, like it was, you know, like it was second nature. And they come up with a culture like that, right? The Chinese as well. The Chinese are very, very methodical. They are very long-term planners, you know, long-term oriented. They're playing a 150-year game with us. Many of you don't understand it. You know, you, you wonder why the fentanyl crisis is afoot in this country. You wonder why the opi- opiate crisis happened you know, before. Yeah, it was, it was corrupt, uh, you know, f- pharmaceutical companies for sure. Big Pharma, of course, absolutely. But there's an even bigger game going on besides the, 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 the homegrown greed here in America and America's corporate community. The Chinese are, are sending us, you know, a revenge, a revenge package for the, for the opium war with who? Dun, da, 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 the British. I said it before on many shows, and people go, the opium war wasn't between the Americans and the Chinese. It was between the, the, the Chinese and the British. Yeah. And we adopted their foreign policy, and we're still shilling for the crown. And the Chinese don't forget, and they don't forgive because they have a 6,000-year-old culture. They do not forget, and they do not forgive. Payback for the opium war. We sent them opium. They're sending us a message back. They're sending us back fit. No. It's the reality. So, you know, we have to start to look at things in, a, in an entirely different way, but with an entirely different approach. We got to bring a different energy to things. I tell my young kids today, you know, when the game is going bad, when things start to go wrong out there on the court, somebody, somebody has to stand up. Somebody has to has to be a leader and help change the energy of the team. Has to help change the energy or the momentum of that game. Great players have that that sense, that intuition 
of the overall energy of the game, the overall momentum of the game, and they know how to interject themselves forcefully with their with their athleticism or with their IQ or with their anticipation or whatever combination of, of skills and, and attributes that they have to shift the momentum of that game. Same thing in fighting. Great athletes, great fighters, they, they can feel the momentum, they understand the momentum of the fight, and they're able to use their, their, their skills, their training, their attributes to shift the momentum of that fight. At least the great ones are. And if we want to be a great nation, if we want to be a great people, if we want to be uh, uh, we the people that our founding fathers, uh, you know, had in mind for us, we have to feel the momentum of, of what's going on in the world. And some of us, not all of us, this ain't for everybody. This podcast ain't for everybody. You know, this is for your hitters. Some of us have to start to find ways to interject ourselves into this game and shift that momentum. And part of it is just going to come from your discipline, your commitment, your willingness to deal with the nuance and complexity of what's happening around us. Don't let them demoralize you. Don't let them tell you that because the black Trump-endorsed candidate for governor in Kentucky lost on paper that the referendum on MAGA is, is, has, has been answered. I mean, come on. Is there a more ridiculous story than that? The true, the true, <laughs> the, um, the true takeaway from the Kentucky race, let, uh, considering just, just saying that it's fair for argument's sake, for, for conversation's sake, which I don't think it was fair. It's very suspicious that a governor would lose a governor race and have two down-ballot elections or two down-ballot races that saw Republican landslide victories. That seems very suspicious to me. But, hey, I'm just a guy who can tell you that the slot machines have better integrity than our voter machines. I'm a conspiracy theorist, although you can go read it. Um, but even if it's as the numbers say they are, even if, even if, the young black man who was endorsed by Trump that ran for governor in Kentucky lost by 60,000 votes. What does it tell us? It tells us that MAGA is damn close to breaking through. Damn close. And you can talk about Kentucky being a red state all you want to and view it as a loss because Kentucky's a red state, but let's not get things confused here. Kentucky has been run by good old rhino Mitch McConnell for a long time. So the politics there in Kentucky are already fucked three ways to Sunday. Evident by a person like Mitch McConnell being in power there for so long. I mean, he's another one who's so old, he can barely, he can barely keep himself together up there on, on the podium. And, uh, and, and yet, uh, you know, I'd be surprised if anybody even primaried him. If anybody, you know, uh, ran against him in Kentucky on the Republican side, that's how powerful the inter-party politics are in this country. So don't be demoralized. Losing by 60,000 votes, if he even lost, which, again, I don't think he did, but even if he did, that's not a sign of, 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 of discouragement. That's not something to be, um, you know, you know, 
feeling down about. That's an op- That's optimistic. That's a sign of optimism. That's a symbol of optimism. That's a beacon of hope. The MAGA movement is about 50,000, is a marginal, a marginal way from victory. A marginal way from victory. And they'll have you believe that in Kentucky, just like in Ohio, you know, the cultural wedge issues are the issues that, that swung the election. And maybe some of that is true. And, and we should talk about some of that. You know, it really bothers me. Maybe I'm just a black man in a, in a state that's led greatly by liberal white women and, and cucks. But it really bothers me that the black identity, black people, blackness as an identity, is only placed on this pedestal, or propped up or, or, or loosely supported and revered as long as that black person carrying, holding that identity is a Democrat. Can anybody tell me how this type of blatant contradiction is accepted by black people? All you black people out there now, you drop in the comments, please. Somebody tell me how the fuck you believe that these white liberals really have any care or love for you when they don't allow you to hold opposing political views. If, if, if you hold any opposing political views, if you stray from the Democrat platform or their party uh, message, then the blackness that is enshrined in all of their identity politics goes right out the door. Can somebody black out there please tell me how it is that the black identity is the cornerstone of uniparty politics of of the new world order, the post-World War II democratic liberal order, uh, the Democrat voter strategy, uh, and eventually the fourth industrial revolution. Tell me how it all rests on the back of the black identity and this argument about white colonial history being tied into Christianity and America's uh, national identity. Everything is white supremacy and racism. Black people have all, have, have all been mistreated historically. And now that's the reason why you should become a global citizen of, I don't know, Brussels or, or Davos, Switzerland, or, or, you know, whatever other tech, you know, vegan cokehead capital is out there and on, uh, you know, in, in Europe. You know, can, can somebody tell me how? Can somebody tell me where, what, what sense can be made of this? You know, black lives matter if you vote Democrat. If you vote Republican, then fuck you. Just somebody tell me how that's remotely appropriate. Somebody tell me, one of you Democrats out there, please, can we get a few Democrats watching the show just to answer some of these questions? I would love to, I would love to hear an answer. Any of you people. Any people, I'm, I feel fr- I would love to come on your show. They, they would never have me on their shows. And that's the funny part. That's another litmus test where you can really start to see who's who. The people who are really dangerous, who are really a threat, they never even let them on CNN. They never even let them come on MSNBC. They only let me come on MSNBC to talk to, uh, you know, uh, Rachel Maddow when, when they thought that I was a BLM organizer. All right. 
young, handsome, articulate, ex-professional basketball player, you know, helps organize Black Lives Matter protests in, in the city of Minneapolis and in and and the nation's moment of, of turmoil and crisis. And as soon as I said the word sovereignty and brought the people to the Federal Reserves and, and I, I yelled in front of the police department, young eight, you know, 18 year old black women who identify as this or that will not lead a revolution. Oh, I was out. I was persona non grata because obviously I wasn't a Democrat and I certainly wasn't working with Black Lives Matter because all of them paired the exact same diatribes. They all have the exact same worldview on any litany of issues. Any litany of issues, you can just pull one out of a crowd and they're going to start to fucking recite the same bullshit talking points as the next Finocchio. Which, by the way, they got from white liberals. None of them came up with these ideas on their own. Any of this race theory or any, you know, Ibrahim X or Sean King or any of these, Jamel Hill, all none of these motherfuckers learned that shit on their own. They all went to either white liberal, liberal, white liberal universities Okay, or they went to HBCUs that are subsidized by the education and curriculums of white liberal universities because, you know, obviously the HBCUs, you know, although white supremacy, right, they, they want to be viewed as legitimate by comparison to white universities, right? None of these people came up with these ideas on their own. They're all following white liberals. So again, one of you please, Somebody, please, an emissary for them, somebody who knows the party lines well. Somebody tell me why black people are held up on a pedestal unless we deviate from Democrat politics. And then our lives as black people matter about as much as uh, the Palestinians. (laughs) That's another bullshit story you're telling. Everybody wants to talk about how much they care about the Palestinians. And I, I just find it. I just find it so dishonest. I find it mind-blowing that anybody would believe that these white liberals who get up on primetime television and cry the fucking crocodile tears about the Palestinians give any, 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 any genuine, genuine fuck about what happens to the Palestinians or anybody else outside their own little political enclave. I really, really don't know why people believe these kind of things. I mean, if you need any more evidence, let's look at who has supported, unanimously supported Israel and has even more recently supported Israel's action there in the Middle East or in Gaza. Uh, That would be your commander-in-chief. That would be your illegitimate commander-in-chief there, people. People of the Democrat Party, people of the Vote Blue variety, people with the trans-Ukrainian vaccine syringe, uh, rainbow, um, BLM, hammer and sickle flag in your profile uh, username. That would be your president. That would be your chosen leader that has supported Israel's bombing of Gaza. I mean, Donald Trump ain't in office. He's not in charge of the American military. And if the American military is backstopping the Israeli government in their military efforts there in Gaza, that would be on Joe Biden, wouldn't it? 
Or is there some strange, you know, is there, is there some strange way you're going to pin this back on Donald Trump? Let's try that one another 400 fucking times. You know, let's say everything that goes wrong for Joe Biden during this presidency somehow traces back to Donald Trump and his, his extreme MAGA supporters. Isn't it Joe Biden right now that, that is in full support of uh, Israel's initiative, Israel's mission, Israel's actions there in Gaza? I mean, he can call for a ceasefire because, you know, he has to satisfy you people. So he can call for a ceasefire, but isn't he in a position to actually demand a ceasefire? Isn't America, I mean, it, you do realize that a good reason why the Iranians didn't go or the reason why Hezbollah didn't go or the reason why, uh, I don't know, uh, Turkey didn't go. The Turks are different. The, you know, the eye of the, the Turk, uh, you know, longs for Vienna. The heart of the Turk longs for Vienna. They're a different story. They're just Turks. Um, but you do realize the, re the, rest, the reason the rest of the countries in the Middle East didn't go is because we had those aircraft carriers in the Mediterranean, right? And they didn't want a bomb sent up their ass. So, in effect, America is helping create the circumstance for Israel to do the campaign that they're, that they're currently doing. So if you're all pro-Palestinian, how do you square voting Democrat? Go ahead. I'll wait. I got all day, folks. One of you Democrats, please jump in. The, hey, one of you rhinos. One of you rhinos jump in the chat. You know, t tell me. Tell me. How do you square being pro-Palestine, even pro-Hamas, but you all vote Joe Biden. <laughs> Go ahead. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't make sense. It's a logical fallacy. And there are a lot of logical fallacies in our current political culture. And these are the things that I'm interested in sorting out. Because the more and more I talk to people, the more and more I hear people, the more and more I start to realize how fucking twisted people's minds have become amidst all the propaganda. It is just, I mean, there are just layers and layers and tunnels and catacombs of fucking propaganda and bullshit out there for people to, to be, you know, all mixed up about. And, you know, we, we have to sort this stuff out. We have to start to sort this stuff out. We, we just have to do it. We have to do it. You know, what, what, what's my prescription? Hey, you know, I was the one who said free the Uyghurs when all the other professional athletes were silent because, hey, China, right? And Joe Biden may be saying, you know, let's call for a ceasefire, but he won't demand the release of the Uyghurs because, hey, which Muslims, right? Which Muslims? It's, it's all about political capital. You don't want to piss off the CCP. Not when I'm getting $40,000 checks from the high table over there in Beijing. We don't want to... We don't want to ruffle any feathers with the CCP. Come on. I mean, that's not smart. And quite frankly, a lot of these other devout Muslim, Arab, or Middle Eastern countries don't want to ruffle the feathers of the CCP either because the Uyghurs have been put in concentration camps in, in China since around 2014, and there's been mainstream knowledge or whispers or really yells of it 
since 2016, 2017 at least, and here we are in 2023, and they're all still lining up to do business with China. So how much do they really care about Islam? Uh, I have my doubts, <laughs> to say the least. I have very serious doubts. But, you know, I, I've been saying free the Uyghurs the entire time. Never once did I did I or would I advocate that we arm our um, young men and women to go on a military campaign to actually free the Uyghurs. No, we shouldn't have to do that. We should be able to put enough economic pressure on China by divorcing ourselves from China to at least get the moral culpability off of ourselves, right? I mean, if you're involved in drugs, piracy, and slavery as an economic business model, business model from the crown and, and well before that is, is, you know, also. But really exploded with the crown. I mean, the British Empire were, were the masters of the globalist business model, the drugs, piracy, slavery business model opium, you know, transatlantic slave trade, and then good old-fashioned colonialism, piracy. Go back to World War I. If you, if you, if you want to know about colonialism, just go back to World War I and look at the map of Africa and how all these other little proxy wars broke out there uh, in the continent of Africa as Europe started to, to go into conflict because it was, all, it was all colonized. I mean, that's just the truth. I mean, that ain't fucking race, you know, critical race theory. That's just flat out history. And uh, that doesn't justify any weird, you know, sort of reverse racism against any and all white people all over the world. Because, again, what is the white identity? The white identity is, uh, is an American. It's an American creation, really. And, you know, you want to talk about original sins. That's one of the original sins is, you know, in a nation of immigrants or in a nation of slaves or in a nation of a newly formed nation, let's just let's just throw the white identity out there as a way to, you know, as a way to uh, <laughs> create a a demographic of people of which we could draw political and 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 uh, economic benefit from. What, what what the fuck do they mean by white? I mean, talking to somebody who has very significant Norwegian heritage. So what do they mean by white? And all these German cucks, you know, all, all these Nazi cucks, I just laugh at them because they all wanted to be Viking. They all, they all looked up to the, the, the Norwegians. They all looked up to the Scandinavians. They all thought Scandinavia as what is considered true white, pure Aryan blood. And none of them were pure. The Germanics weren't, you know, these people were all brown hair, brown eyed people. None of them were blonde haired, blue eyed people. And you know, me myself uh, with with Norwegian heritage to to see another another culture of people prop up Scandinavians as some pedestal type is just the same as seeing white liberals prop up black people on a pedestal. Now it's embarrassing. It's actually cringy to watch, and they still do it to this day. This entire Nazi movement. That's what it is. These people believed that the Aryans were the, were the pure race of whites and that, you know, but guess what? See, and this is, the, this is the hidden truth. My people, the Norwegians, yeah, I had African, obviously I'm black, people that came through the slave trade, Mexico, so, you know, got, got a little bit of all three, right? 
the Caucasoid, the Negroid, the Mongoloid. Anybody knows about the three master races per Darwin and many of these early intellectuals, those are the three master groupings of, of peoples. This is Caucasoid, these people came through the Caucasus Mountain, Mountains, and it's just more the whites, the Negroid is, you know, dominated the African continent and you know and then the mongoloids is just cross between asia and and the americas and the bering strait and natives and you know so on and so forth at least that's the conventional wisdom i wasn't fucking there i really don't care i'm an american citizen but if you're into that sort of thing that sort of anthropologic genia you know genial genealogical history and so on and so forth makes for interesting documentaries you know to go back to the the, the pre-glacial age of uh, of 100,000 years ago and figure out how people traverse the continents, fine, cool. You know, everybody loves a bit of, a little bit of glacier history and ice, ice dating and shit. Um, point being, you know, you don't have to go too far back in history and follow the Roman Empire, some of the history we talked about on Monday, but but just in general, you don't got to go back too far to, to know the history of the, the Vikings was, uh, or the, the, the Scandinavians was one that, you know, they were serious about not um, interbreeding with people outside of their Norwegian or Viking culture. Now, that was a serious, serious um, thing that they kept up or that they tried to keep up as long as they possibly could. Your early Viking warlords, they come, they sack a village, and, and where most men would, um, you know, take the women, kill the men, you know, keep the children, take the women, force the women to breed, um, or, or, you know, just take them for their own possessions or whatever the case may be. Um, the Vikings were different. They were a little bit of a strange bunch in that they kind of had this, this idea, we don't mix well with these people. You've seen some of that, some of that culture displayed through, through um, mainstream Hollywood cinema, and, and and you can read it in in some of their, in some of the literature. Uh, you know some of the the ancient stories about about those cultures as well. And I learned a lot of this. I used to have a book in my room that that talked about ancient cultures. It, it was you know whether it was Celtic or or the, the Vikings, or it was Egyptian, or, you know, Roman, Greek. And, you know, I, so I, I kind of grew up at a very early age, probably earlier than my son is now. He's 12 years old, probably around 8, 9, just reading books like that about ancient cultures. But the Vikings were a bunch. They didn't really mix with no people. They, they didn't want to mix. Well, I, we, we're killing all of you, period. And if we do take your women, if we do if we do enjoy the spoils of war and let, let our, you know, tired Soldiers who need some warmth and some some intimacy need to let off a little bit of stress. We're still killing the women afterward because we don't want to breed with you people. The Germanics weren't like that. Let's just keep it a buck. And this is what I'm saying. The racial idolatry, one thing that, that Jason Whitlock has gotten right is that racial idolatry is widespread in every, Durango, in every direction. Right, whether it's this way, weird white supremacy Nazi thing, or you got you know this pro-black, Af you know pan-African. So I mean, all of you people are hyping up your loyalty to your race, and for what reason? All you're doing is serving the interests of Darwin, while your government is bending you over a barrel and showing you the fifty states. You're getting scammed. You're getting played. Still getting played by the crown. 
And I'm not saying that racial division doesn't go back far earlier than the crown or the British intellectual tradition, but certainly Charles Darwin and his acolytes, his his uh, you know his proteges, um, the people that came in you know you know in his after his lineage, certainly these people um, formula they formalized. Uh, an intellectual tradition that they could then industrialize to justify race theory, right? And all it does is divide people. It's like, you know, how much black do you have to be in order to be considered black? How much European do you have to be to be considered white? Are the Russians Europeans? Because the Russians certainly don't view themselves as white. The Slavs and the Europeans, the Slavs and the Germanics have always had a tribal and blood feud. So what are the Russians? Are they Mongolian or are they Caucasus? I mean, they're right there in the middle, so to speak. So, well, you know, who, who do they who do they fall with? Okay, and then you got the indigenous people, North America, South America. You know, these people went to war with themselves on a tribe-by-tribe -tribe basis. So how do you clump them all in together? The African continent has always been riddled with conflict, inter-tribal, uh, inter-tribal, uh, inter yeah, but but tribal conflict. I mean, there's so many different languages and dialects on the continent of Africa, it's almost ridiculous to call it one place. And the Europeans, oh, nobody does war better on people with the same shade of skin as them than the Europeans. I mean, uh, both world wars to this date were started there in Europe. Both world wars were started there in Europe with white people against white people. Had nothing to do with racism. It, it, I mean, it really didn't. And that's just, that's just the history. And it's a cautionary tale. Neither world war was began, uh, began due to racism. All, both world wars started with, with uh, you know, regional political beefs there on the continent of Europe. World War I, it was the Russians and the Germans, you know. World War II. It, it was the Russians and the Germans, <laughs> um, you know, so, you know, it, it's, what is Italian? What is Italian? Is Italian white? I mean, everybody there on the Mediterranean Sea has a little bit more color than the rest of the Northern Europeans. And the, the conventional wisdom about race theory, just for all of those who are interested, is the, the, the Aryans who really, um, sort of articulated their view of, of racial superiority viewed the further you are north, Scandinavian, like my Viking ancestors, uh, the further you are north, the closer you are to what they call true white, and the, the further you go south uh, to southern Europe and into Africa uh, are people who now start to deviate from, from racial uh, purity. So, in effect, the Italians are considered black, which is why the Italians have always been sort of treated, uh, you know, like, like they're different than everybody else in, in the continental Europe, you know, except for when it comes to the, the faith tradition that all of you practice, or most of you practice, at least two billion of you practice, called Christianity, which was formulated, which was formalized, which was industrialized there in Rome and Italy, you know, there, there was all this racial, uh, you know, there was all of this 
this sort of uh, unspoken racism against Italians from other European nations because they were a little bit darker complected uh, along lines with this, this, this racial theory or whatever. And, 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 but they all, you know, submit to an Italian church. And I know Rome, Rome isn't considered Italian, right? Because Italy really wasn't Italy until well after Rome had fell. It was Rome and the, the Roman Catholic church is, is a relic of an empire that was spread far and wide. But even the empire itself, I mean, look at Rome. I mean, Rome went all the way from Africa to Great Britain. So if you were Roman at one time, you were a part of a a populace that was just as diverse as what America is today. I mean, so I'm just pointing this out to, to show you that when you really get down to the intellectual roots of, of, of what is feeding this, this, this racial idolatry. It's all bullshit. It's all smoke and mirrors. It's all a bunch of people using the easiest thing at their disposal to, to divide people into groups so it's easier to control them. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. And I asked the question, what am I? What am I? How much Mexican do you have to be in order to be Mexican? How much Norwegian do you have to be in order to be Norwegian? How much black do you have to be in order to be black? What black do I have to be? Do I have to be from Africa? Or, or what about what about if my people came from Arkansas? Or what about if my people came from from the West Indies? Or or uh, you know or you know I don't know I don't know where they came from. I don't know what if my people were some of the few black people that made it here well before slavery, if that's even true. I'm not an anthropologist. I know the history, but I wasn't there. I'm not doing carbon dating and ice dating and bone marrow uh, dating and all that fucking bullshit. We're about to go into a world war, but I know the pretext of what will start the war. And it'll be race, and it'll start right here in America. And they'll use black people to prop them up, like I said before, and tell you that they are the cornerstone, they are the linchpin, they are the driving force for all the political agendas of our elites. And the Jews as well. And hey, even if we, if we need to, even the Palestinians, everybody can get in on the game. Whoever we can use to divide and conquer, we'll use them. We'll use them because why not? I mean, the, the average citizen is none the wiser. They don't. They don't really. You know. They. You know. Who. Who are they to 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 be uh to have any real defense of of the propaganda that that we decide to use on them? They're in. They're, they're defenseless. We got them high. We got them high on drugs and alcohol and porn and, and political uh, outrage, mainstream media industrial complex machines, and hey, we got them hopped up on all kinds of shit. Who are they? They're, they're indefensible. We'll tell them that the real fight in America's political culture is one between black people or all means, uh, all uh, identities of diverse people and white people. That's that's how we're going to break the the game of checkers down to the American populace today in 2023. It's all black versus white. They're on the world stage. It's all, you know, uh, black versus white. The Palestinians, those are the black people. (laughs) What? Palestinians are black? How do you think the Arabs got to Palestine in the first place? I mean, do you know the history of, of the Arab state? Uh, of the Arab nations, uh, of of the Arab kingdom, and 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 that area, obviously you don't. If if that's the way you're going to break the history down, 
And then it's how far do you want to go back in history to deal with whatever your conclusions or prejudgments are about where we are today. And nobody really wants to do that. I mean, it's just funny to watch people who have such a, a perverted and warped and, 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 and um, uh, uh, scattered version of history. Checkered. Uh, you know, so many missing pieces in their historical worldview. But you feel so, you, you know, you, you, you're you so sure about your opinions. I'm not even sure about mine. I mean, I'm just telling you what's the written history, what's the accepted history. I don't even know if some of that's true. What I come to you and tell you is to give you the history and, and try and help understand or fill in the gaps and where, where you can use your own intuition, your own discernment, your own um, sense of, of being human to fill in the gaps. I know it's pretty basic. When I really think about the United States government and how bloated the federal government has become and how well they do to bastardize your citizenship, to take your rights and make you feel, you know, small under their boot, I really know that race is a uh, secondary, tertiary, way down the way down the trough issue. Because they're willing to fuck over anybody who they can. They don't really care. They're, they're pretty equal opportunity with fucking over the American people. And that's just the truth. Do black people have a unique history? Absolutely. Can't be denied. Anybody who denies it, you're just a cuck. I don't even know who you're shilling for. What, what good does that do? You know, you know what good it does you? It, it, it does you good when the Republican Party acts as the outer bastion or, or the, the outer guard of new world order. And they keep black people from coming into the Republican Party by arguing the fact that black people have a unique history in the country. Don't be dumb. Stupid. It's a stupid thing to argue. Black people is the sign of our freedom, is the sign of our, of our uh, political awareness, our, our, our desire for liberation and freedom, our desire to, to throw off the shackles of our past rooted in our support for a sexy red and the ability to, to do uh, rap songs about Planned Parenthood or, you know, whatever other manner of perversion of things that we've, we've bought into or, or given our attention to or paid money for, you know, subscribe to on the Internet. Is that really a pro-black movement? And this sort of brings me into the, the, the wind down of this podcast. I know that may seem like a tangent, but hopefully for those of you who are more enlightened in the audience and can follow the, the, the train of thought, um, actually thought I tied that in all in pretty well. I, I do say so myself, but um, it brings me to this final issue here about these elections and, and what we saw in these elections. Yeah, we're not demoralized. We're not demoralized about them cheating in a governor's race in Kentucky. But we're not even demoralized if they didn't cheat. Because if they didn't cheat, all it shows is 50,000 people on the margin are the separation between MAGA, between America first, and us saving the country, and the, the corrupt, corrupt Democrat uniparty politics that have held the day for far too long. We're right on the brink. We're right on the brink of breaking through. Now we have to identify where we can have that breakthrough. 
And what they want you to believe is this is all a matter of a woman's right to choose. See, when they get when they when they can't use the race anymore, and this is this is this is so obvious. The 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 ladder of escalation in using identity politics as a as a tool of of uh, you know election cycles is so obvious. When they can't get anything else out of the race car, when they can't get anything else out of the race narrative. Because a black man, let's say, runs against a, a, a white Democrat, a, a, a white liberal man, um, when they can't squeeze any more juice out of racism, they go to even, they go to even lower common denominators, right? They go to things that are even more fundamental, fundamental wedge issues, like, hey, I mean. Who knows who's really black or white or, you know, how much black you need to be to, 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 you know, how much black you need to be to, to call yourself black, how much white you need to be to call yourself white or whatever the case may be. When they can't, when they can't squeeze any more juice out of that, we'll go to something that's a little bit more easy to, a little bit more easy to see, right? Men and women. Oh, this is the go-to move of the Marxists and the communists. Men and women. We can always go to the men and women. And that's why the communists, you know, in, in most part, um, and, and at least in, in, in recent history, uh, post-World War II history, have always drawn upon uh, women and the women's rights movement uh, as, as a calling card and herald of, of their ascent, their ascendance, uh, ascent. In, in whatever political arena they're in. We can always call on the, the, the grievance of women. You know, we can always call on that original, that original creation story. We can always call on that story between Adam and Eve and, and cast doubt on, on the, how that whole story went down and who was really the problem, who was really the, the uh, you know, who was the victim and who was the victimizer, right? I mean, that, that's, it's, it's, it's a story that, is as old as as man, really, at least as old as the history of man. Most of the history. So they can always call on that, and they're doing it right now. They're calling on that Adam and Eve narrative, that creation narrative right now to draw strife and, and division so that they can conquer Americans, so that they can destroy freedom. And so they'll tell black they'll tell black women and oh they're going to go back to the race narrative. There's still a hierarchy of race, but but the, you know they found something even deeper than that. They're going to tell women that the sole source of their political freedom, the sole source of their political power, the sole source of their political identity or their political leverage uh, rests in the right to be able to you know kill their children. What an insult to women. I mean I just see it as an insult to women. And, you know, Amy Klobuchar had to jump in. I saw her tweet the other day. I, you go to my Twitter, you'll, you'll see me respond to it. Because, again, in Minnesota here in the Senate race, they're going to draw upon the same exact bullshit to justify either cheating me or convincing all these Minnesotans that Amy Klobuchar is, is more of exactly what they need in, in the country. Right? Doesn't matter that she's a white 
privileged liberal woman going up against an underprivileged, marginalized black male. No, that doesn't matter. Not when it comes to party politics. When it comes to party politics, uh, you ain't Democrat, you ain't black. If you don't vote Democrat, you ain't black, like Joe Biden said. And I mean, Amy Klobuchar is just a hop, skip, and a jump from Joe Biden on the political spectrum. In fact, they're in the exact same cohort. Both of them are neocons, <laughs> to be quite honest. Um, and Amy says on, on her Twitter, uh, we're not going backwards, right? Uh, the vote is in, the decision was made, and she started to list off the places that had a recent vote about abortion and the you know state, the woman's right to choose being um, written into the, the state constitution where the vote happened. I think it was like Wisconsin and, and you know, somewhere in Kansas, and then it was Ohio yesterday. And uh, she goes, you know, women's health care, women's health care, <laughs> just comical. Uh, I said on my Twitter, and I'll say it again here, women's health care, this ain't about women's health care. This ain't about women getting good health care. I mean, who would believe that? Women, you believe that? This, they, you, you believe they care about your health care? Are you kidding me? The Amy Klobuchar, when the Amy Klobuchar's get done with this country and this economy, you won't be able to get a pap smear at a good price, you know, when, when, it, when it's all said and done. The health care, this got nothing to do with health care. This is about getting money. This is about getting federal money. This is about getting tax money to kill people. The same tax money they want to get to empower or to, to incentivize to facilitate women being able to kill their own children is the same money that they want to garner to allow the military industrial complex to send its products wherever they need to go in the country, <clears throat> in the world to kill people there. This is about a culture of death, death and debt. We live in a death and debt society. We need to change. We need to transition to a life and equity society here in America, and we can do that. But you can't do it with people like Amy Klobuchar at the helm, and you can't do it when women allow themselves to be brainwashed by the Amy Klobuchars of the world into believing that the sole source of their political power is in the ability to kill their own children. That's just a ridiculous notion. Your political power is in your right to vote as a citizen, You where you spend your dollar as a citizen, and your general knowledge and awareness of the political circumstances and the government that preside over you, the systems, the mechanisms, the legislation that's at work, and not just about one issue that is so obviously a cultural wedge issue. I mean, it's almost like they're dressing it up as a clown uh, and, and, and spinning it around at a birthday party and calling it a pinata. You know, how much candy can you whack out of the clown show? Out of the out of the out of the pinata. How much candy can you whack out of the pinata? And that's doubling and tripling down on this on this abortion issue, on this right to choose. It has nothing to do with health care. It's just them finding a way to expand the government at the same time, taking more taxpayer dollars in the interest of death. These people are interested in death. They have an interest in death. 
And we've seen it before. I mean, this was the pharmaceutical uh, industry. This was the car industry. This was, this was a number of industries that, that made a living off of a, a certain level of inhumanity, of anti-humanism. And they plan to do the same thing in the future. And they're not really even hiding it. They're not really shy about it. They're saying it right out in the open. The Yuval Noah Hararis are saying right out in the open, look, if you can't make human babies at an industrial level in the future, if you can't make people, you're going to become obsolete. I don't know what to even do with these peoples. We, uh, the only thing we can do is some, some variation of technology and, and, and drugs. Keep them busy, to keep them content, to keep them happy, to keep them from, from figuring out the scam and causing violence. I hope that all makes sense to you. I hope today's podcast makes sense. I hope I tied um, things together in a way that is succinct. I think I did. Uh, and, you know, to, to, to summarize here, look, we, have, we had an election. MAGA's on the move. Everybody knows it. Everybody can feel it. Everybody can sense it. At least I hope they can. There's some diehard Democrat enclaves in there that are staunch, brainwashed, Joe Biden, Kamala Harris supporters, they're going to vote blue no matter what bullshit, crazy, corrupt policies the Democrats put forward. Most of all, around an issue like war or abortion, but even more modestly around issues like taxes and, and the general expansion of the federal government itself and what it means to be a citizen and what it means to have value in your citizenship and what it means to have a border that's open. And what it means to be able to vote in an election with uh, people who can't be verified as, as actual citizens or not. The enemy from within, the Republican Party, the outer bastion of New World Order, the rhino, neocon, mainstream, conservative operatives. The Carl Roves, the Sean Handys, the Mark Levins, these people who are inside the wire, the Chris Christies, fat as they get, just fat, fat and pompous, inside the wire, doing things like giving up control of a Minnesota of, the, of, a, of a state legislature like the Minnesota Senate, by not even running a candidate in a Senate, in a, in a, in a Senate district that would decide the, the control of the Senate and then allowing the Democrats to win the Senate, win control of the state politically. And the first order of business is to pass legislation that allows illegal immigrants to get driver's licenses that allow them to automatically register to vote. And who voted for it unanimously? Who lobbied for it unanimously? Every law enforcement agency in the state of Minnesota. And some of these conservatives still want to back the blue. Are you understanding what we're doing here on this podcast? You understanding the point of this show? You understanding what we're untangling here? This is dangerous shit. This is how power actually works. This is how this, like the great Steve Bannon always says, it's not a conspiracy. It's how the system works. They're right up in your face. They're putting it right up in your face. And then we lose a, 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 an election. MAGA loses a, a, a Trump-endorsed 
black man running for governor in Kentucky loses an election on paper and they want us to be demoralized about it? We're not demoralized. We're not demoralized. We're not discouraged. We have not yet begun to fight. We have not yet begun to fight. And last but not least, there's a certain treaty floating around out there, floating around out there, that is the real danger of your citizenship. And very shortly, your elected officials are going to vote and decide whether or not international bodies, international governing bodies, international peacekeeping alliances or, or health uh, collaboratives are going to have the, the, the jurisdiction, um, the authority to govern over you in times of crisis. Well, ladies and gentlemen, there is nothing American about that. There's nothing free about that. Never forget the China one-child policy. It's so strange to see the radical feminists hold quarter for the Chinese, the CCP, and a China-centric future when bodily autonomy is the calling card of their political platform. And in China, a woman has just about just as much rights to her own body as, uh, you know, a, a car has a right to its own body from its car owner here in the United States of America. All people in China are property of the government. All women in China are property of the government. And if you just happen to be Uyghur or Muslim, you're a special type of property that we have to re-educate. I mean, this is a level. This is a level of contradiction that we just should not accept or be able to live with on the right or the left here in America. Imagine you're a woman there, you're a Uyghur Muslim there in, in, in East Turkestan, and, uh, and, and you get ripped away from your children or your husband and taken to a camp uh, to be re-educated because you believe in God, because you practice Islam, and you're raped or humiliated or tortured or, or whatever the case may be, electrocuted, all kinds of crazy stories coming out of the, the, the Uyghur concentration camps. Imagine, imagine that type of tyranny and authoritarianism from your government. Here in America, your government's just saying, hey, let, let's think about killing the children. Huh? You think? You think we could you think we could have a second thought about that? But MAGA are the extremists. But you want to live in a China-centric future. Give me a break. I'm not going for it. This has been another episode of Please Call Me Crazy brought to you by Free People Radio and powered by our favorite sponsor, TireGit.com. That's TireGit.com. You have to buy tires from somebody. You might as well buy them from us. Help us fund the movement. Help support the movement. We believe in the freedom of movement, and that's exactly what the establishment wants to take from you now. And I had one of the Jason Whitlock supporters ask me, hey, you criticize Mark Levin and his ties and, you know, the Blaze and the Glenn Becks and all of these people. Well, what about TireGit? You know, do you know their owner's politics? Well, it just so happens I do. I know the owner of Tiregit very well, actually. And uh, he is somebody who is a full, full-throated supporter of the America First and MAGA movement and the idea of self-governance and the idea of restoring America to a place of strength, 
stability, a, a place of security through self-governance and independence, self-sufficiency. So yes, I do know who the owner of Tired Git is, and he is a comrade in the movement. Don't ask me stupid questions like that. Over here, you don't have to question the integrity of what we're doing. Yes. Solid. Rock solid. Rock solid. There are no Mark Levins telling me what I can and can't talk about. There never has been in my entire adult life, and there never will be. I remember going into Vice um, when my whole conflict uh, went down with the NBA and, and them trying to do some weird seven-part documentary about mental health and they wanted to write it like this and blah, 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 and I, I don't want to do it. Would it help my public profile? Would it help me, you know, become a, a, a bigger figure in the, in the liberal mainstream media industrial complex? Sure. But who cares about that? I mean, we got to get to a point where let's get serious about what our priorities are. Let's get serious about who we want to be. Let's get serious about what we involve ourselves in. Let's get serious about how that we let the, st the system use us, how we let them use us individually, how we let them use our cultural identity, how we let them use our energy, our energy in general. Let's get serious about understanding the momentum, the flow of the game, the flow of this political culture. And let's get serious about using our talents and our skills and our discipline and our commitment and our will and our faith and our prayer to interject ourselves and change the momentum of the game. We appreciate your viewership and your listenership today and in the future. You can visit freepeopleradio.com to find out more about where you can watch and listen to the podcast as well as follow us on social media as well as follow us on social media. The fight continues. Don't die a jerk off, and as always, Godspeed. See you on Friday night.